0: Hey, if you care about the NFL draft, we have some amazing coverage on the podcast network this week for The Ringer, including The Ringer NFL Show. Danny Heifetz, Danny Kelly, Kevin Clark, Nora Princiati, special guest Warren Sharp. They're going to be breaking it down all week, doing big board stuff, all kinds of things. Check that out. Also, check out Ryan Rosillo's podcast as well. He is hitting the draft as well. We're about to hit it in one second. Stay tuned. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident, and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is gonna be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it, I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what? the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer.com as well as The Ringer Podcast Network. Our presenting sponsor is FanDuel. FanDuel, they're starting to listen to me on props. We are creating, starting on Wednesday, so it's in time for the Wednesday night ESPN game. We've created a new super boost. It's called Bill Simmons' This Is 40 Super Boost. What does that mean? First of all, I'm older than 40. Basically, I've noticed how there's been a lot of 40-point quarters this season. I thought it'd be fun to bet on. So the, this is 40 super boost will be either Washington or LA, the Lakers to score 40 plus points in any quarter on the Wednesday night game. You can bet that go to FanDuel. The odds will be up on Monday morning and you can bet on it. And the best part about this is you can root for either team. Whoever just starts scoring, um, just root for them. If, If the wizards have 29 points with four minutes to go in the second quarter, just root for them to hit it. I'll be really interested to see how this plays out. But it is the Bill Simmons This Is 40 Super Boost launching on FanDuel uh, on Wednesday. Excited about that. And also, House and I talked about how they didn't have scoring title odds. Well, they do now. Curry is minus 400. Bradley Beal is plus 300 if you want to do a scoring title bet. FanDuel, present sponsor of the Bill Simmons podcast. Coming up, Peter Schrager, our old buddy, is going to talk NFL draft. And then DeRay McKesson is going to update us on everything going on with police reform he's been on a few times he is always fantastic this is a fun podcast uh don't forget we did one yesterday as well if you want to hear some basketball talk um with joe house and you want to hear oscars talk was was Morris. that went up on monday so two pods two days in a row good times first pearl jam <laughs> All right, the good luck charm is here. Peter Schrager from uh, Fox and the NFL Network. We're still celebrating just an incredible million-dollar picks run in the playoffs. And uh, I don't think it's too early to say you're probably coming back for Thursdays for the uh, NFL season. I think we've had so much success. America needs it and wants it, right?
1: We definitely need to do it. I don't know if America wants it, but we're going to give it to them anyway. That's what we're doing. We were red hot throughout the Super Bowl, and it ended with... Uh, Devin White sending us both notes of thank you for having the support of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers which is incredible. I know.
0: I know. You know, it's funny. I was thinking, I heard Frances on uh, on JJ's New York pod on Sunday and he was talking about he was like, if that tight end tight end on the on the Saints had caught, had, had fumbled Saints would win in that game. And I was like, he's kind of not wrong. He's not like, wrong. <laughs> like, if the Saints go up by 10, I'd be really interested to see if the Bucs could have come back but that's why we love football. Um, most, most fun, craziest draft of this last 10 years at least that we're we're in right now. I'm so fascinated by 40 different storylines. What's it been like to try to cover and get information for?
1: Yeah. So I'm pretty accurate on these mock drafts and I do this work all day long where I'm talking to everyone. And this year I've got this pit in my stomach because I feel like I don't have a grasp on things after a couple of picks like I used to. And this isn't because I'm not doing the same work I always do. It's I'm talking to the same people. It's I've heard from multiple teams saying this is unlike any other draft because a after the top 15 bill and this is going to be you know my NFL Network bosses, Mike the player. Uh, this is the this is not a great draft after the top 15. It is wide open. So you have 15 guys who are per, potentially Pro Bowlers, and then you have so many unknowns. Beyond that. There's also this thing there. There's no medical reports like used to like there used to be because of the combine not being in the same place at the same time in February. They're still getting medical reports trickling in. And a lot of these guys have things. So you you have now I, one team told me 50 different players on their board of like 400, 50 different ones have the letters I and C next to them, meaning incomplete medicals. So now you're debating, all right, I don't know if this guy can actually still play. Is he hurt? What do we got? I don't even know. Am I taking him over someone I know is healthy, but isn't as good a player? There's that. And the last part about it, which leads to so much indecision, there's a lot of groupthink in the NFL. And a lot of that develops in the months of February and March. So you go to the combine and it's every single member of a staff, front office, coaching staff, they're all in Indianapolis. And like... Any other convention, it's just gossip, gossip, gossip. And you talk about the players and you start convincing yourselves that you're in the same thought pattern as another team. Then you go on these pro days and the same personnel guys who are at the pro days at Ohio State, are at the ones at Alabama, then they go to the one at Clemson, they go to the one in Georgia. Who do you think they're getting beers with? Who do you think they're eating with at night? Who do you think they're going out with? All the same guys. So eventually you have crystallized notions of, all right, this guy's a top corner. This guy's the same. There was none of that this year. So there's no group think. It's 32 different teams in silos with their own boards, basing it on
0: a college season that kinda existed, but then kinda didn't well. <laughs> that's your fourth piece of it, right? Like you had this weird college season, and some some of the guys who were first rounders and second rounders didn't play. Didn't play. And, it just and then sat you're... out. How do you
1: judge that? All right. So there's A, the, I don't have the film. And then there's B, the taboo topic of, is it being held against some of these guys that they chose not to play because of A, potentially COVID reasons, or B, they just wanted to train for the draft. And it's one of these topics that like the NFL doesn't want to look like archaic, you know, cavemen saying that. But I'll tell you this, Jalen Waddell, who's an Alabama wide receiver, hurt his ankle in week five, decided to play in the national title game, basically on a still very injured ankle, but played. And I've had multiple teams say, you know what we like about Waddle? We like that he opted in. He's a gamer. He wanted to be on the field. He's a gamer. Or a lot of these guys, they didn't. And, you know, no one ties a name to it. No one's going to judge. And I did talk to someone who was like, If you have any idea how effed up the Pac-12 was this year, you can't hold it against any of these players in the Pac-12 who didn't want to play and risk anything. There was no rhyme or reason to a lot of this. It was so up in the air. No one can blame them. But there is that football mentality of Jalen Waddell played on a bad ankle. I like that. Some guys decided to be down in Arizona training for the last 12 months. It's going to be fascinating to see if any teams hold that against a player, which Obviously, in a normal situation, you never would. But here we are. It's the NFL. It's not everybody's normal situation.
0: Well, can I tell you something? Yeah. Jalen Waddle played on a bad ankle. I really like that. I do too. I like that it did that. <laughs> <a> fucking gamer. <laughs> Bring him to the Pats. Can you <laughs> fall to 15? Like um, all right, let's go. We're taping this. It is 11 in the morning, uh, Pacific time on Tuesday. I don't think there will be any trades or weird stuff happening, so I feel pretty safe going, uh, going through. San Francisco is down to Mac Jones and Trey Lance. It looks like all signs have pointed to that for the last couple of weeks for there was the gambling action on this has been fascinating to watch. There was a point on Justin Fields was like the favorite to go to the Niners like a week and a half ago. Now he's like basically off the board. There's rumors of split, split <laughs> camps on Mac Jones or Trey Lance. And I just can't imagine that Kyle Shanahan, doesn't have the deciding vote. I don't care what the camps are split. Whoever he wants, they're gonna end up taking, right?
1: This one selection has been everything I've lived and breathed over the last two weeks and I'll just empty the bag. Here, Here's what it is. It's gonna be Kyle Shanahan's decision and there's a lot of reasons for that. But first and foremost, he's the guy. He's the quarterback guru. Lynch knows that. They're getting a quarterback and you put it in Kyle Shanahan's hands. That's what you do. Second thing, which doesn't come from the Niners, but is pretty much if someone were to tell Kyle Shanahan who to pick and he went with that pick and that pick wasn't the guy and the guy that he wanted went on to be a great quarterback, it would be hell, hell to work with Kyle Shanahan for the next four years because he would let you know that nothing against Kyle. He's an offensive guy. And Sean McVay wanted Matthew Stafford and the front office might have said, well, maybe we should. He wanted Matthew Stafford. And to make everyone happy, you keep the coach happy. Unless you plan on moving on from this coach, you get him whatever he wants. Kyle Shanahan. By the way, that that was Tibbs with Derek Rose. Exactly right. It's like, why do they need Derek
0: Rose? They have five guards. It's like, because they wanted Tibbs to be happy. That was his guy.
1: And exactly right. Um, And that's what's going to be with this one. So it will be Kyle Shanahan's pick. So then you say, okay, it's definitely Mac Jones, right? I don't know about that. And it might have been out of the gates and it might have been Mac Jones when they made the trade. But I can tell you. A lot you of good went, interview
0: buzz on Trey Lance. People, hey, he's, got, he's kid, getting that kind of Gandhi level, uh, <laughs> level character assessment. We love, we assessment. love,
1: uh, we love um, hyperbole in our world. And I'll tell you, they went to the pro day on Monday. They all went from the 49ers. And this was last week. And they came back and, look, Trey Lance's parents were there. His father played in the CFL and in the World League. His mom is wonderful. They got to meet with the parents. You get this feel. And there's a lot of things that are coming out about Trey Lance that, like, I kind of like it. You know, he played this one game this year against Central Arkansas, and he went 15-30, and it was his worst game at North Dakota State, and it should hurt him, right? His explanation is, I didn't have to play the game. I could have been an opt-out COVID. We couldn't have to play. But because he played that game, a lot of his teammates' partial scholarships were guaranteed. Like, if he wasn't going to play, they weren't going to play the game. So yeah. Trey Lance was like, all right, to get these guys, their scholarships, I'll play, I'll put my name on it, and let's go. Um, teams love that. The interviews, they're, this is why it gets silly. Like, we had the Gruden quarterback camp. We don't have that this year, so we can't see it. But apparently, he's like a savant on the board. And he's a guy who came from a running offense in a high school in Minnesota where he attempted very few passes, was a one-star recruit, goes to North Dakota State where he played nobody and then played one game in the last 16 months. And they're saying this guy can digest an offense and
0: spit it back to you and doesn't turn 21 until May. So- Well, and then they do the thing, good family. His father was a professional athlete. He knows how this goes. You look at Mahomes. Mahomes' father was a professional athlete. He came into the league ready. He understands how to be an adult. I think they care about that stuff.
1: They do. And how about this? You're Kyle Shanahan and you've got a really high bar for what you want. This is your mold of clay. You can shape him however you want because he's still raw. So let's say Jimmy is there, plays next year or maybe eight weeks, whatever it is. And we'll get to the Jimmy thing. I'm sure that'll come up. but this is the ideal situation where if you want that Alex Smith and Mahomes thing, and if Jimmy's willing to be the mentor, it is kind of perfect. If everyone's kumbaya that for next year Jimmy Garoppolo is your quarterback, and then you hand off the reins
0: to Trey Lance. So uh, if they take if they take Trey, they keep Jimmy. If they take Mac Jones, they probably trade Jimmy. I would I would guess or, and try to get a high second rounder.
1: Yeah, or you keep Jimmy, uh, or you have Jimmy start the first six to eight games, and whenever. Mac Jones is ready, then you just bench Jimmy and it's, and it's, it's Mac Jones's team. Here's the rub But then
0: you can't, you can't trade him after that though. Plus he's got the no trade clause. He's got the no trade clause anyway. F you over with it, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, everyone says, well, why would you want Mac Jones instead of Jimmy? They're the same guy. They're not like Mac Jones, whatever you want to say is a really, really cool kid. And they're saying is like the alpha on that Alabama team is the guy and- jimmy's a leader in his own way but when you've got the alabama crimson tide and mac jones is the name that everyone brings up as their bona fide leader and he's saban's right arm it's there's something appealing to that and this whole feeling that he's a stiff or he's not a great athlete um done a lot of work on mac jones because i'm like if the niners don't take him where's he go and like he'll still go high so they view his pocket skills as impeccable. And you say, well, pocket skills, what's that mean? And the comparison was made to Brady in the pocket. And you say, well, that's not great. Brady's not a great athlete. You know, Brady no, he's never great in the second. pocket. He's unbelievable. Yeah.
0: He and would move side to side as good as anybody.
1: And that's what Mac Jones did. And he threw for 4,500 yards and completed 77% of his passes. And the athleticism isn't necessarily a 4 4 which is what Fields has, or this incredible arm, which, which might be what what Lance has, what Mac Jones has, and this is it's like people roll their eyes. His father was a professional tennis player. His mother played tennis. His sister played tennis. His brother played tennis. He played tennis growing up. Incredible tennis skills. And think about the tennis mm. ability of like going baseline and then going up to the top of the net, to the front of the net, like all that quick twitch stuff. stuff, quick twitch yeah. stuff. He has been trained and drilled because when you're a tennis player it is drills it is that kind of training that his footwork is impeccable so it might not be as sexy a pick as lance and i can tell you just doing the morning show on nfl network when i say like there's stuff to like about mac jones niners fans are throwing the remote at the niners fans have never wanted to pick less than mac jones for some reason this guy has become the bane of their existence they find it boring i, I don't think nfl personnel guys see him that way they see him with a tremendous upside and great athletic ability, despite what you might think, just because you say, okay, here's another Alabama quarterback.
0: Yeah, I remember when Brady started playing for the Pats when Butzo went down. Butzo had this cannon arm, but he was this big lumbering goofball as a quarterback, right? And it was one of the reasons he got hurt by Mo Lewis. Like, he just took a point-blank cannonball hit because, yeah. you know, um, athletically, he was a little weird. Brady came in, and his footwork and the play action and everything was like so meticulous, and it, and that was why I got behind him initially. It was like this guy's. It's just harder to figure out what we're doing, you know. Like he he was just so smooth at all like the subtle stuff with being a quarterback, and it seems like that's where the Mac Jones piece is. Like, I I think the Tua thing really hurts him though. The in fact that way? let me hear because Tua. Sucked last year and you, you look at that and you go, well, if you're the Alabama QB and you're just loaded and you're on an all-star team, basically, how do we assess how good you are? Like you really, you really have to do the extra due diligence. And I, I just wonder like if Tua had been awesome last year, I wonder if that's better for Mac Jones.
1: Yeah. Or is it the fact that they got better once Mac Jones went in to show that he's a better quarterback than Tua, you know, like it's not like Alabama mm. took some dip. If you want to do the control of the True. experiment. They went on and won the national title. I, The thing with Mac Jones, let's say at his bare minimum, and this is some of the comparisons they're making, it's Kirk Cousins. All right, well, you probably wouldn't want a third overall pick to be Kirk Cousins. you got higher expectations. So what's the ceiling? Eh,
0: Kirk Cousins is an above-average quarterback. It's fine.
1: Yeah, he's fine. You know, if you're going third overall, maybe you want a little better. The ultimate ceiling for Mac Jones, which, you know, it, it sounds blasphemous, but, okay, super accurate quarterback, tennis background, can mobilize in the pocket, and Drew Brees was was the ultimate ceiling. And that's that's how you have to kind of look at it. Are you at third overall? But he's bigger okay? than Drew Brees. And he's bigger than Drew Brees. And are you cool with having a, someone between Kirk Cousins and Drew Brees at third overall? If that's the case, because they don't think he's going to be worse than Kirk Cousins. I, I think that might be the decision there. Now, with Trey Lance, it could be Rogers. It could be Mahomes. It could be who knows. But I don't know what the basement is. It could also fall on its face.
0: Danny Kelly has Mac Jones shades of Matt Ryan. It's fair. Smart quarterback,
1: um, good footwork. He also went third overall.
0: I think it's weird that the Niners made this trade not knowing who the pick was going to be. <laughs> I just, and I, I felt like for weeks and weeks, I was like, oh, they're full of shit. They're just trying to fuck with the other teams and they know who they're taking. They just, they just want other teams to spend more guys scouting and just, spend more time scouting and wasting time and it's like a red herring. But it really does seem like they don't know who they're going to pick and they just liked a couple guys and they traded up. I think it was very unconventional for a trade that I think could have been there a month later. is pretty, in my opinion, pretty risky. It is risky because they not only gave up Next year's first round
1: pick, but 2023 also. So whatever this pick is, they're lying in that bed. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan can be a temperamental guy with his quarterbacks. He better love this guy. And that can get ugly real fast if he doesn't. But where
0: were they? They were 12 initially, right? They were right? 12, moved up to three. But we're gave... 12 where they could have potentially gotten a QB anyway. We might have... Of course. The, the number five guy might fall to 12. This is Absolutely. a reality of this draft.
1: So here was their thinking. And I'll tell you straight up, we're doing this on Tuesday. It's middle of the day on the East Coast here. I have in the past I've had McGlinchy going to the Niners in my mock draft, the final one. I've had Bosa. I I've done events with the 49ers. I you know, I worked, I was a sideline reporter for Lynch. I, I feel like I'm pretty good with the Niners. I don't know the answer. I don't think they have their final pick yet. And it might have swayed. It might have been Mac at the start and now it's Lance and now it's Mac and it's but the reason well, so made...
0: th- that's reasonable to me. Like that they, they thought it was going to be Mac Jones and they did more research and maybe they really started to fall in love with Trey Lance. And now that's... they're debating between those two guys.
1: I think that's a hundred percent the case. And they're still talking about it. And I don't think they've made their decision yet. And you know, you say, well, why would they do it? Because now they have the choice. If you're sitting at 12, you never were going to have the choice. You were dealt with the fifth quarterback and I believe them in their thinking. I think they would have maybe traded up to five or four, but Three was willing to. And so they go up to Miami and now, all right, we know two quarterbacks are off the board. There's going to be three guys that we can take. We can take Jones, Lancer, Fields. Let's narrow it down. Yeah. Let's say they they now have their choice. They still have their choice.
0: Um, we're going to take a break and then we're going to go through the rest of the draft, but more importantly, um, do some draft props. <laughs> Cause the magic is back. The Schrager Simmons team is back. All we do is make you money. That's coming up after this. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. 5 o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at mclobaltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. Okay. So on FanDuel right now, it is 11.23 Pacific time. They have Mac Jones now minus 3.40 to be the third pick. Trey Lance is three to one underdog to be the number three pick. So there's been a lot of Mac Jones movement somebody was minus 200 yesterday
1: somebody a long time ago told me when it comes to intel on the nfl draft and all that stuff what you first heard is what you should probably go with at the end and the first thing we heard was mac jones this can go a million different ways i'm just picturing kyle shanahan waking up friday morning and saying oh wait Ooh, I, I just fell in love with this trey lance and now i i I, I think you right. It's like, you, right? Yeah, like, it's, think you, it's like a fling, right? Like I think it's like in dance. the
0: Bahamas, drunk one night. He's with Trey Lance. That's it, and then you get
1: the call nine months later, and suddenly that's your baby. So I, I think maybe um, I would say that if I were to be doing a mock draft right now and putting my name on it, I'd still go Mac Jones. I would not be shocked if it's Trey Lance, but I feel like Mac Jones is just for the fact that we were hearing that for two months leading up to this thing.
0: Atlanta at number four. Kyle Pitts is minus 135 as the favorite. It's felt like Pitts this whole time. I think people, I include myself about three, four weeks ago, realized like, well, wait a second, why wouldn't you take a generational tight end over a receiver? There's two of these guys every 12 years. You have a chance to get <laughs> this guy. You know what he is. He's like, worst case scenario is Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. He might actually be a Travis Kelsey 2.0. New coach there, Arthur Smith. You're, is he your guy? Kind of semi your guy. Have you adopted Arthur. him yet? Okay. I love him. Great um, dude. And Matt Ryan, I think is I think he's 33 years old, maybe 34. I think he's, he's, he's older. I think he's 36. 30. Is he 36? Okay. I think he's well, 36. That doesn't, quarterback ages don't matter anymore as long no, as he's can't not 45. Get um logically, it makes sense to me to take Kyle Pitts. And to bank on, we might have four or five years left here with Matt Ryan, who maybe he's not a level one quarterback, but he's somebody that took a team to a Super Bowl who, who, you know, can really produce. And it's more logical to do that than bring in Trey Lance, whoever's left, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, Fields even, um, and then have the shadow over Matt Ryan. Now Matt, now Matt Ryan's going to suck next year because he's got this guy waiting to take his job. We also haven't leverage the fourth pick into somebody who can actually play for us. Pitts seems like the guy. It seems like the smart choice. What do you think?
1: Yeah. Just about every team I've spoken to says their top non quarterback on their board is Kyle Pitts Here, here. Here's the argument why you wouldn't. All right. First year coach, first year GM, You don't expect to ever be in the top five again. So if you love one of these quarterbacks, you can say, we got our guy. That's our cornerstone. Let's build around him. And we have him, and we'll figure out the Matt Ryan piece later. The real red flag on this, though, is the stuff that I'm hearing about Julio now being on the block. And they've got salary issues with Julio Jones, and maybe they can trade him. You're not trading Julio Jones and not getting an offensive weapon. Like, that doesn't make sense. You wouldn't trade Julio Jones or get rid of him, unless you have some other guy that you think is going to be part of that offense. And with Arthur Smith, what they did in Tennessee with two guys who I think are inferior to their two tight ends, Johnu Smith and Anthony Ferkser was hey, a lot of two tight ends. be I careful know on Janu. Come I know on. What are, what are you doing to me there? I think is going to be a solid player for the Patriots, but oh, Kyle, now Pitts, you're hurting my feelings. Kyle Pitts blows him out of the water and what he can do. So I would think this makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of talk that like Arthur Blank is making this pick. And I'm pretty plugged in, in that organization to the point that I feel like Arthur Smith could have taken other jobs. Like there, he was a hot name and he chose Atlanta. So you think think he he has the juice? I don't think he would go to Atlanta to have the owner tell him, take a quarterback. I think he would go to Atlanta so that he can build his own thing. And I don't think he's going there thinking that Matt Ryan is not his quarterback. So I would say Kyle Pitts at four would make a lot of sense.
0: Hot take. Makes total sense to trade Julio Jones to me. 32 years um, old,
1: makes a ton of money. 32 years
0: old. You got Ridley. Dipped last year.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Expensive. The history of these receivers, even the superstar ones, when they hit that 32, 33, 34 range, they just dip. They If they lose, I don't know, 6% of their superior athleticism that they had in their 20s, they become different guys and it's and it's down the line it's the way it's gone the just, only exception is Jerry Rice but Jerry Rice blew out his knee on that terrible Warren Sapp play that yep. um, somehow doesn't get held against Warren Sapp <laughs> but um but for the most part 32 33 is kind of when I want to get off my 20 to 25 million dollar receiver my question is who would want julio at the price like well it's
1: interesting right aj green just signed a quiet one year like eight million dollar deal and they were the same draft class and it's what's the value at julio and who would what would he what would they get for him i i don't even know and there's going to be aggressive teams especially at that position uh but i think kyle pitts and calvin ridley on rookie contracts and a third year guy contract is a lot more digestible than
0: the julio deal that feels like a crazy coach move where it's like a Gruden move where Gruden's like, ah, I've traded for Julio Jones game breaker. Here's my oh, second wow. round pick. And it's like, all right, good luck with that one. I'm with you. I think Pitts goes there. And I think either they try to trade Julio Jones or they end up getting stuck with him. Um, five, everyone had a lineman going to the Bengals, but now it's like, no, why wouldn't they take a wide receiver? These wide receivers, all three of them could be incredible. um, People seem to like Sewell, though, because it seemed like, all right, he he has a chance to be an all-pro versus that guy's a multi-all-pro. It's, people seem to be somewhere in between those two. What would you do if you were the Bengals, and what do you think they will do? All right. So I
1: I've originally was like, oh, Jamar Chase played with Burrow. He had 20 touchdowns in a college season two years ago. He was the number one. Justin Jefferson was the number two at LSU. It makes a lot of sense. And then I heard no, you got to protect Burrow because look at his knee. It's all scarred up after one year because he got clobbered. And now that we're two days away, I'm going to say it's going to be chase just on the intel I'm getting. Um, mm. And it's not so much a negative on Sewell or what a team needs. It's Zach Taylor is an offensive coach there. They drafted Jonah Williams two years ago. They got Billy Price three years ago on the draft. They've got offensive linemen. They signed Riley Reef, And there are three good wide receivers I'm going to say three very good wide receivers in this draft. And then there's a huge drop off. Huge. Chase is one of them. The offensive line. Sewell's really good. So is Vera Tucker. So is Mayfield out of Michigan. Like in the second round, you can still get an offensive tackle, but you will not get a wide receiver like Jamar Chase and Zach Taylor coming
0: from the McVay world and offense. I'm going receiver at five. That makes sense to me. Take your, take your tackle in the second round. And you'll look still at get last, somebody who's high level.
1: Look at last year's final four teams or the final eight teams. Very rarely do you see a first round offensive tackle beyond the Super Bowl team. It's usually a, a nice collection of offensive tackles or guards that you get in the second, third, fourth. I don't think you necessarily yeah. need that at five.
0: Well, I forgot to mention one of the Fando bets, Lawrence, Wilson, Mac Jones, Kyle Pitts being the one, two, three, four in that exact order is basically even odds. I like it. Which I thought was enticing. But talking about Chase, they have bets about first receiver, first running back, first offensive lineman drafted. Exact mm. order. Okay. So I Rosillo's on Najee Harris. He thinks he's gonna go higher than everybody thinks because he was just like we've now the inefficiency is now to zero. No, he's right, I think.
1: Bill, I think t- he's yeah, right. take
0: an awesome running back.
1: I think so, I think he can go as high as sixteen. He can go 18 to the Dolphins or he can go 24 to the Steelers. He will not go beyond 24, but I could Cardinals, those guys that not there in win now mode, but at 16 with this draft where it is a crap shoot, they know Najee Harris can play running back and they know they can win right away if he can do something. So like, I wouldn't be shocked if he went as high as 16 to the Cardinals or 18 to the Dolphins. Well,
0: that would make him first running back. You can get chase Najee Harris and Sewell as first offensive lineman. So that could be your first receiver running back offensive lineman. Even odds. Uh, that's we might great... have to bring back million-dollar picks, million picks for a couple of these. I, I want to put $100,000 on that. I, I would um, feel confident. The first four receivers drafted.
1: This one is the fourth receiver is a a great topic if you're really into the NFL draft because it is what, does, what kind of cup of tea do you like?
0: I like Bateman for some reason. So... Do you have Waddle or Smith?
2: All right, so, in second.
0: So you have Chase first, Waddle or Smith. So Miami's going to take. We think whoever is left out of Pitts, Chase, and then everybody thought it was going to be Smith, but now it's like well, Smith weighs one hundred and twenty pounds. He's basically Poku and,
1: and Sewell on board in the board
0: Oh, you know, think Miami could go lineman? I don't know. I mean, you've got this this Tua tunga Viola
1: investment. You've got an 18th overall pick. You can, I, I would think, best pass catching option. But suddenly, you know, they 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 could be anything. Last uh, the, the what they well, wait did a second. last year... If they
0: take Sewell, that that flips the whole draft.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you. Because now we
0: have two receivers still sitting there that are people think could be potential franchise receivers. Yep. Um. You also have a couple quarterbacks left, too, from the way this is shaking out. Yep. All right, so and let's play this out. Miami takes... I'm saying say Miami taking,
1: takes. I'm taking Devontae Smith. That's what I would think for Miami. I was just putting out a hypothetical. They could take Sewell, but I think they're going pass catcher, and I would say Devontae Smith fits what they need more than Jalen Waddell.
0: I also think Smith will go there, but Sewell is a really fun right? thought exercise. All right, so that, then seven that sets is... it all off.
1: Seven's Detroit. Seven's who,
0: Detroit who you, they're doing their lines, right? It's one line or the other line? I think, see,
1: all right, they got only six picks. They're not doing quarterback. So they're going to look to be that team that's like, is there anyone who wants this pick? We'll trade back, we'll trade back, we'll trade back. I don't know if anyone's trading up to get one of these guys at seven.
0: Danny has has the Chargers flipping 13 for seven and throwing in 77 in a 2022 And who does Danny have him
1: taken? Sewell? Sewell. Yeah, it wouldn't be crazy. Get a I mean, get a
0: buddy for Herbert.
1: Yeah, it'd be great. Friends for college. Her. There we go. Um, I would think Detroit would either go Sewell, all right, because I just know those guys and between Dan Campbell and Chris Spielman and Brad Holmes, those guys just eat, breathe, and you know what, football. That's what they want. Sewell's that guy. Or I wouldn't be shocked if they went one of the, you know, one of the receivers that's left and just said, Okay, we lost you know, we lost Galladay, we lost Golden Tate, we lost uh, Marvin Jones, we lost all these guys. Let's just at least get one of these guys. But receiver, yeah, doesn't but you have see. the
0: Lions' receiver legacy there, though. I was gonna say that's like it haunts yeah, that the, franchise. You, it's tortured, I but know. you <laughs> might just want to build from the ground up, take the most boring pick possible, and they don't want to be good this year anyway. No, and I think right? that's why
1: they would love to get more picks and collect, collect, and collect. So even if the offer is not going to blow them away, they might just accept it just to get another pick. So look for that spot to be maybe New England if they love one of the quarterbacks. Well, that's maybe. what I was going to say. If that, I, don't, the I think the
0: Pats are trading back because they want to hurt my dad's feelings. I'm going to be with yeah. my dad for the draft. Oh, I um, love that. They're going to take Kyle Duggar And again. he's all, he's like seven, Detroit, get there. Mac Jones could be there. Lance Fields. Yeah. We will move up. We'll give next year's first. bell check blows first anyway. And then we're going to trade back from like 15 to 29 and pick up a 2023 first or something. Can I tell you um, something?
1: I wouldn't be yeah. shocked if they did. And, and I, it doesn't come from inside information up in Foxborough. Trade up or from, down? Trade up. Like I, the way I see it, there's, there's these market inefficiencies that you always mention, and there's arbitrage and all these things. And it's like, Who was the one team that went nuts in free agency? The Patriots. They saw a window. Like, If everyone is saying, this is not my draft and I'm going to trade down, if maybe they value Justin Fields in a way that others don't. And maybe this is the year they finally draft a quarterback and they're not going to ever be up at 15 overall again. And if they look at it that way, they're like, this is the year. So we trade next year's first, where we're looking to be a playoff team again anyway, or we trade next year's second, whatever it is, move up eight spots. And we get the fourth quarterback <laughs> on the board and we're set for the next 10 years. Like, it's not crazy. And after what we just saw in free agency, I don't think there's anyone who could say with a straight face that, like, that's just what Belichick doesn't do. Well, no, Belichick doesn't spend in free agency like they did. And they went nuts in free agency. So I, if that happened, if they were to trade up to seven, and whether your father's doing flips and you're happy or not, I wouldn't be the slightest bit shocked because if I feel they like trade it's for seven, time. I'm going
0: gonna, I'm gonna to have to have paramedics here. I, I'm honestly worried. I think he would, might have a heart attack.
2: Out of joy, bet, right? We I never mean, trade up.
0: Every 20 years, we've been, we've made one trade-up. Um, fields on FanDuel is the over-under for him is eight and a half. If you go under, which means you're saying he's a top eight pick, it's two to one odds. If you do over eight and a half, it's plus one sixty. I personally do not think he's gonna be in the top eight. I think he's gonna drop out because it would be so it'd have to be to trade trading back and somebody moving yep. up to take a QB or, or Carolina saying, fuck it. Let's fuck go it. Sean Payton on this. Fuck we it. We traded for Darnold. We have Bridgewater. We'll also have a third yes. quarterback and let's go. This is the most important position. We got three swings at it.
1: I think you're underestimating this owner if you don't think that's possible. Uh, this guy, Tepper is as much of a maverick as Mark Cuban was in the NBA. And he's all about forward thinking and flipping things on its head and being asymmetrical. And look, they traded a future second round pick, a fourth round pick, and a sixth round pick for Sam Darnold. That is 40 cents on the dollar. And they're paying Sam Darnold, I believe, $11 million over the next two years. They haven't picked up his fifth year option yet. They haven't extended.
0: That was a good trade. Yeah,
1: He's 23 years old, so you could say, all right, let's go with it. But what if Matt Rule and Scott Fitter, the GM, did all the work on the quarterbacks and they fell in love with Fields and they said, gosh, if he fell to eight, that would be amazing. And then this offer comes for next to nothing for Sam Darnold. I don't think that makes them rip up their papers and say, we still don't want Justin Fields. Like, I don't think it's crazy that Justin Fields goes eight to Carolina and I would say knowing the owner and the head coach, Rule, who was on the recruiting trail and knows these college prospects way better than a lot of these NFL GMs and coaches do. If they were like, you know what, Justin Fields should have been the number two or three pick. He's sitting here at eight. We're taking him.
0: Well, one thing we've learned with quarterbacks over the years, Russella did a good thing on his pod yesterday about just how stupid this Crap quarterback thing. Yeah, it's just it's even basketball. I remember I did a big piece for Grantland, maybe 2014 range, just on how stupid the lottery is and and how much more of a crapshoot it is than people seem to realize. And year after year, the best guys in the draft, unless they were the number one pick, were usually 15, 17, 29, whatever. Um, With this draft, you can see teams falling in love with certain guys because that's what happens all the time, right? Chicago fell in love with Trubisky. Mm Mm-hmm. What made them fall in love with Trubisky? We'll never know, but they fell in love with him. By the it way, seems, it seems uh, like someone would fall in love with Fields here to try to move up to get him.
1: There's a lot to like about Fields. He never lost a Big yeah. Ten game. He went 20 uh, touchdowns, two interceptions, runs a 4-4-40. Four, He's a great kid. Here are the negatives
0: on Fields, and I'm not dragging. Huge. You forgot his body. He's a kick-ass body. Awesome durable, body. Durable, Man. thick, strong body. And he's been a five-star recruit his entire life,
1: and he has lived up to it. The only negative on Justin Fields, and this might not be fair to him, is that Jake Fromm beat him out at Georgia, mm. and Jake yeah. Fromm is your classic gym rat, doesn't have the physical traits, whatever it is. But for whatever reason, that UGA team that went to a national title was 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 unanimously Jake
0: Fromm's team. So Fields transfers. Can I defend my field, my Fields guy for a second here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Fromm from was well respected. From what was his show? QB one or Last yeah, Chance? Yeah, he had the one TV of those show, shows. Whatever he was on. It was, yeah, he was a really, really highly recruited guy. He just hasn't panned out as a pro. But I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's shameful to lose your job to Jake Fromm. He was really highly regarded. And guess what? That was Kirby Smart's choice.
1: Like I, that might have yeah. been his cup of tea. Like who knows? Maybe they go on and win a lot more if Justin Fields is the quarterback. Whatever the right. reason is, that has been held against them. and a lot of teams. Have told me and been like, I don't have anything on Justin Fields that's a negative. But why would Georgia choose? Well, that's not your decision because guess what? Ohio State went with Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow. And that is fact. And Joe Burrow had to right. transfer to LSU. And like you can't question these things. It's college football and the pros. And I think Fields has done a really good job in this pre-draft process. Of not getting in the muck. Everyone I talk to says when they meet with this kid, he his head is held up high. He's not listening to the whispers. He is holding himself. I wouldn't be shocked if he went seven or eight and everyone's like, oh, Justin Fields. Yeah, of course he went seven and eight or seven or eight. He's that good. Like he's a good, good quarterback, and a lot of people like what they've done when they do the work on him. So I, I wouldn't be shocked. In fact, I think seven or eight sounds about right to me.
0: The only thing I've heard about him that I didn't like was the when some of the QB guru people are like, I don't like his arm angle. He throws from his elbow, and they do that thing, and it's like, oh, that. All right, that's something. But other than that, I don't get it. I don't know why he wasn't a top five pick. Um, I
1: wanted, to, I wanted to say something on the Trubisky thing because uh, yeah. I said this on our morning show, and it, people were shocked, but it's true. Like, all right, so the Bears get clobbered for taking Trubisky over Mahomes and Watson, right? Do you remember who the Niners took with the third overall pick that year? They took Solomon Thomas, a defensive tackle, who's now playing for the Raiders on a one-year deal, and it's like that is how much of a crapshoot this is. Yes, we know yeah. that Trubisky was taken before Mahomes and Watson, but the Niners who were doing flips over that trade that they you know they got an extra pick and they took Solomon Thomas, who's not on the team anymore. So I, the quarterback deal, to Ryan's point, is so so hit or miss, and it really depends on where you go.
0: Yeah. All right, one more break, then we have fifteen minutes left to bang out some <laughs> uh, some some picks. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award-winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60-day money-back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with Fast Protect Monitoring at SimplySafe.com/slash BS. That is simply Safe with two S, slash BS. There's no safe like simply safe. This episode is supported by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it, I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. All right, so we we have Carolina. I think one of the reasons this is such a great draft is you go on down the line and each team is an I don't know what the hell they're going to do team, right? <laughs> like Detroit, I don't know. You could you could present any scenario to me and I would believe Detroit. You'd be like, oh, they got their QB of the future. Okay, makes mm-hmm. sense. Same thing for Carolina. Could they trade back? Could they just draft a QB? Will they just go chalk and take an offensive lineman? Would they add another receiver to try to really load up for Donald? I have no idea. It starts to get De- Denver to me at nine. I'd be shocked if they didn't take whatever QB was left. That's why I think Fields was t- minus three seventy to be a top ten pick. I I have now come around. I think we have five QBs in the top nine. Here's- I just think it it's logical. It makes sense to have the most value. And if you're not going to take a QB with one of those nine picks, trade back and somebody will move up and you'll get a little extra. I just don't see how any of these guys fall past Denver. How does Denver not take a QB? Have they they watched the QB they had? He's not a starter.
1: Here's how it goes, though. All right, so Trent Baalke, let's say he's a first-year GM with the the Jaguars. Well, he's been GM before, but he's the first year with them. Uh, Number four is Fontenot in Atlanta, first-year GM for the Falcons. Then you start going through the list, and it's like, oh, seven, Brad Holmes in Detroit, first-year GM. Matt Rule, uh, his GM is Scott Fitterer. He's a first-year GM. And now Bronco's... George Payton, first-year GM. So there's no resume that we have of like, this guy likes this kind of player or this guy likes that kind of player. George Payton just signed a Mm. six-year deal from what it was reported. He doesn't have the pressure to be like, I need to get the quarterback this year, especially if it's the fifth quarterback on his board. He's secure. Now, Vic Fangio, if they fall on their face, maybe they change the coach, whatever. But the GM doesn't feel the pressure necessarily to make a rushed pick. That said... I think Fields, Lance, and Mac Jones make a lot of sense for Denver at nine, especially because they've got one of the best secondaries in the league, and that's a spot that is right about there for Sertan and Horn, and they've got some of the best young receivers in the league. So if Smith yeah. or Waddle are there, they're not needs. Their needs, quarterback, and then defensive end, which is a and, terrible and being defensive draft. Yeah, and being healthy and keeping Von Miller and Bradley Chubb on the field. So I would think quarterback makes a ton of sense at nine. I would be surprised if they didn't go there.
0: I also think if you're Denver, you can talk yourself into pretty quickly. We could have been good either of the last two years if we had stayed healthy. Mm. Our quarterback isn't good. We have really good skill position guys. And if we strike oil with a QB, we might be good next year if he can play.
1: Especially because those young offensive guys are entering year two, year three, year four. And, you know, Trey Lance grew up in Minnesota, went to North Dakota State, that Denver would be a perfect
0: spot for him. He's a, Don't they have in Ham, that region. That's a team that has Hamler, right? Yeah. The speedster who showed flashes I, last year. Right. I liked him super fast. And Jerry, and not Judy to mention showed, all the I mean, other guys, they're good. And Tim Patrick is really good. They're good. So 10 is Dallas. Danny Kelly thinks this is how the Pats move up because if fields drops to 10 in Dallas, um, they move up. They the Cowboys move back five spots. They'll get the D back they want. Everyone thinks they're taking a D back. The Cowboys usually hey, are pretty transparent. you hey, they're usually uh, I'll tell you this. fairly easy to figure out. I was well, I was gonna. I know what you're gonna say. and I'm gonna ask you so I get let half hear, credit. Let me here. Are we sure they wouldn't take a QB there? <laughs> they're not going QB. They're not taking a quarterback. Are Dak you sure? Is, Dak is Jerry guy. Jones Dak trying to outsmart guy. everybody yet again? We was like, ah, oh, we thought Justin Fields like. It just seems like a weird Jerry Jones thing to do. It would be funny if he did. Watch this. Watch how smart I am.
1: It could happen. And and it could, you know, you say, okay, well, Jerry, all bets are off. Last year I had it on good record that no matter what, they were taking this guy, Caleb Chason, or, or from the from LSU, he was gonna be sitting there, et cetera. And then CeeDee Lamb falls and they draft CeeDee Lamb. And it's like that's that wasn't on their board, but like that's just how right. they operate. So if something happens like that who knows if kyle pitts were to fall or chase or whatever it is but here's the thing with this draft there are two elite cornerbacks i'm talking guys that can start day one that are awesome sertan and horn i think the giants at 11 and the eagles at 12 are prime for both those guys i don't Hmm. see dallas letting them get one of those two corners and trading back and missing out on one of them so i would think. Dallas and that the makes name, sense. The name I'm hearing is not Sertan for them. I'm hearing JC Horn could be the guy for them. Six foot two, like a complete uh just mauler on the line of scrimmage, like one of these guys that is a big body, and he's the son of one of our favorite NFL players ever, Joe Horn. We love that. Come on. This is Joe Horn. So you kid. have
0: so Horn is even odds to be a top ten pick on FanDuel and Sertan is minus one ninety.
1: It's either or those two for Dallas, I think. I think I would go Horn or Sertan. And if
0: one of them is taken by the Cowboys, the other one's going one to the Eagles or Giants. So it's funny, when the Eagles traded back, everyone thought they were trading back because they were going to take a receiver. But this Still is one of the reasons why, when I look at the Pats at 15, where it becomes conceivable a receiver might fall to them, at, like Waddle might, it's like, no way, no way Waddle falls to the Pats at 15. I think it's conceivable because we have three teams in a row and everybody's like, the Giants, well, they'll take a receiver. Well, they just signed Galladay. Yeah,
1: and they have Shepard, They have receivers. They have, Why yep. would
0: they draft a receiver at 11? Why are you tripling down on Daniel Jones, who nobody even knows is any good? I think it makes much more sense for them to take a D back. And then if you're the Eagles and you trade it back and that was what you wanted and you're in a situation where the Cowboys and and the Giants might have stolen the two guys you wanted, right? Yeah,
1: Giants really hit a home run there in, in free and addressing two needs and getting Galladay and a Dory Jackson, who's their corner, who they like, but I, you know, they've got Bradbury who's a good corner. They got a Dory Jackson and I've mocked draft them to, to take horn last time around. And all the giants fans came out. Oh, that's not that's ridiculous. We're good. We're good. We're good. It, you can never have enough really good quarterbacks right. in this league. And I think we've learned that. And when it comes to Sertan and horn, the drop off after them is so enormous these two guys are viewed as potential all pros. I wouldn't be shocked if the Giants went with, an all, with a corner, which would leave the Eagles with one of the wide
0: receivers. So 10, 11, 12, two D backs in that three pick stretch. Yes. Yes. Eagles, let's say both of those D backs are gone.
1: Yeah. Then they get Jalen Waddle and they're doing flips or Devontae
0: Smith. Are we, are we sure they're taking a receiver though? No, no. There's also They spent a, a first rounder or on one last year and i don't
1: know know. no dude i Devontae smith is a player he's great jalen waddle's a player he's great the other name that's not getting a lot of love on all these mock drafts and everyone loves slater and all that is taking up a lot of heat right now is this kid uh vera tucker at a usc and the reason they Mm. like him he can play both tackle spots and both guard spots and he could play like tomorrow and if you look at his 2019 tape and again i'll tell you i don't watch tape this is just me reiterating what i'm told this guy was dominant and at points better than Sewell on on paper. So, like, I wouldn't be shocked if the Eagles said, you know what, 12th overall, let's just get ourselves a really good offensive lineman who's going to be there for 10 years, and let's roll with that. And it could be Vera Tucker as as high as 12.
0: FanDuel has odds for the Giants' first draft pick and for the Eagles' first draft pick, which I think is wonderful. I wish they did this for everybody. (laughs) But Sertan plus 650. JC Horn 13 to one. Hey. So hey. if you feel like the Giants are taking a D back, that's unbelievable value. Devonta Smith is plus 300, Waddle's plus 380. I would um, think it's one of those Slater's four. Spot to one. I,
1: I know that feels like I'm hedging, but I'm not trying to, you know, get this nail at 100%. I'm just saying it'll probably be one of those four for the Giants. And so, but, you but know, if you Joe, think D back, that's like incredible value there. I do. I think it's a very good possibility. Those two D-backs are really good, and they're in the top 10 on a lot of boards. And for the teams that don't need quarterbacks, they're both in the top five. That's how good Sertan and Horn are.
0: Horn for the Eagles is plus 280. Sertan is plus 470. And Smith and Waddle are both plus 430. There's a way to game this. Where... Right?
1: You got to figure that out. You got go yeah, to right? yeah.
0: yeah. I'm with you, though. I think, I think it's the D-back rush and you know, they're all in the same division. Yeah. So if they feel like the Eagles really want yes. one of these D backs and they're like, Oh, let's cock them on, on the D back. And now it's like, Oh, I guess we'll take a uh, receiver again. I think that helps everybody. If the Eagles, I think they have a lot more needs than receiver. But Absolutely. Who's, who's done a worse job of picking receivers than them. All right. With the Pats at 15, um, they got, they have uh the Chargers in front of them who I think if the Chargers stay at thirteen would they're gonna take an offensive tackle.
1: Or um, or a corner. If one of those two guys, if Sertan or Horn is there, I could see that happening too. They lost Casey
0: Hayward, that could be a possibility.
1: But yes, Slater, Vera Tucker, those types, or Horn or
0: Sertan. Cardinals are at fourteen.
1: No, no, Vikings are at fourteen.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Danny has a, a fake trade a fake trade. Here trade. With the Vikings, the Cardinals, I'm looking at his mic draft. All right, so Vikings at fourteen. I'm trying to figure out a scenario because we do this every year with the draft. Two teams go go rogue, <laughs> two teams go wild card, and they you said there's a top fifteen in this draft, and I agree with you. I think yes. there's a consensus fifteen drop. That doesn't mean those fifteen guys will be the first fifteen picks. There's always the two wait, whoa, whoa, wait yes. where'd he come from? Oh my God, And I'm wondering if somebody could fall down to the pets that. Um, would be ridiculous. Now, receivers most likely. QB is possible. But then the other one is Mika Parsons, who I think is a top 15 talent. It seems like he's the guy this year that people are a little like, mm, I don't know. Um, he, okay. There's so, some off the field stuff, maybe. Yes. Who knows? Um, Belichick hasn't rolled the dice with one of those guys in a while. And if we stayed at 15... And we took Parsons. And it was like, look, this guy's just fucking talented. We'll, we'll we'll keep him in shape. We'll we'll make sure he's good. And then we traded for Minshew. That's a great scenario. You for love Minshew. I do I'm love Minshew. Minshew for scenario. Yeah, so par- the Parsons-Minshew combo is my fallback plan if we don't trade up. All right. What about um, Kadarius-Tony? Does that do
1: anything for you? Have
0: no, you heard that name at all? The, make the case. Sell, sell him to me. Really
1: good wide receiver out of Florida. Also has some off the field funk to him.
0: We can't take another receiver. We can't, can't take a non-top three receiver. I'm not allowing it. Not After allowing the it. Nik- Nikhil Harry thing, I can't. This
1: is it. Um, Parsons. Um So you same- think
0: he's the talented upside receiver?
1: Yeah, he's the guy who, if the right team wants to roll the dice on him, because there's some stuff off the field from years ago, not even recently. He went to the senior bowl and was actually great and charismatic and teams liked him, but he is unbelievable, really good. This is the wild card of the first round. Does he even go in the first round? I don't know. But they compare him to Debo Samuel in that he can run the ball, he can catch the ball. And what happens is everyone's watching this this Pitts video, and they're like, who the hell's number one? And it's the other receiver, Kadarius Tony, making all these oh, plays. Oh, wow. So, he could be that one player where it's like he's my wow guy of like oh my god who what why and he might be that one if a team just says you know what we'll figure it out with him we'll take him the michael parsons thing i've never had a defensive draft and i've been doing it for 15 years which is not 100 years and it's not mel kiper 43 years but i've never had a defensive draft where they i'm being told there are no defensive tackles worthy of first round there might be some taken but there's no like a Defensive ends, every single one of them has something wrong. And when I say yeah. that wrong, it's all you know relative. It could be an injury, it could be off the field, could be uh something. And then the linebackers, it's this guy Parsons and Zaven Collins out of Tulsa, who you're not seeing anywhere. He's apparently a name that can go in the top 20 because he's clean. He was a high school valedictorian, he was really good. And he's a safe pick. You put Zavin Collins on your team, you have him for 10 years. So Parsons. Two years ago, I was told he was the greatest thing. Didn't play last year, and now suddenly he might fall out of the first round. I don't get it. So it depends on where he goes and what team is willing to say, "Uh, we're good, we'll take take a guy that has top 10 talent.
0: On FanDuel right now, top four receivers in order. Yeah. Plus 430, Chase, Smith, Waddle, and your guy, Tony. Tony or Bateman will probably be the fourth receiver. Plus 500, Chase, Waddle, Smith, Tony hmm And then Bateman, uh, where's he? So Bateman,
1: Bateman might be that fourth guy.
0: Yeah, I was looking at oh Bateman is uh Chase Waddle Smith Bateman is six to one. Give me this one. Give me Chase Smith Waddle Tony. What is that one? Chase Smith. Chase Smith Waddle Tony. Mm-hmm. Plus 430. Okay. You like I that love,
1: one? I don't know. Tony's, Tony's the ultimate X factor for me. He could go- Is this 15? like a Randy
0: Moss Marshall situation where he goes five picks later than he should and then we see the highlights during the draft and we're like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, dude. How did this guy go 23rd? Dude, the Cardinals took Andy Isabella over DK Metcalf. Like,
1: this shit oh, happens. Like, And DK Metcalf was awesome in college. i. Kadarius Tony, that's my wild card, and he, like I said, I'm not putting my name on at top 15, but he could go really high. Kellen Mond, first round, maybe. I know I heard you and Ryan talking about it, you're like I kind of like Kellen Mond, <laughs> like, yeah, hey, a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> not,
0: I think I, if they got if the Pats got him at 46, I wouldn't like throw a tantrum.
1: Yeah, I think Mond. Is is viewed higher than Trask and Davis Mills is kind of that wild card guy. He only played seven games at Stanford, has two ACL injuries, but was the number one high school recruit. That's, yeah. All right. I'm at Stanford
0: so, ACL injuries I'm out. Um I believe. Right, give me before we go, yeah. One one wild prediction for round one.
1: One wild prediction for round one. This is good. Um I think you are going to see Najee Harris. He'll definitely go in the first round. I think 16 or 18 is where is where he might go. And people are going to be like, wow, a running back actually did go that high. I just feel like those two teams, Cardinals and the Dolphins, they both need running back, and that could be the guy. I don't know if that's wild enough for you. I don't know. That might not have done
0: it for you. It's have done, pretty you know, wild because did it back? over under – no, his over under on FanDuel is twenty eight and a half for when oh, he's. he's, he's get I think he
1: won't he won't fall past the Steelers. I would be confident to say that this guy is he scored fifty seven touchdowns. He led the nation or the SEC in receiving touchdowns two years ago, and he played last year. He played like he was awesome. This guy, I I think Najee Stead. Harris
0: is the name being. There's he's a not Damien Harris, but I think he could be really good. He's he could be a poor man's Damien Harris. I, I think it's funny though the Sony Michelle pick. The Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, there's been a couple of these late first round running backs that haven't been as like, you know, super, what a steal, super dynamic, all that stuff. Oh, I can get that guy in the second round. So now the zig would be, no, Najee Harris is actually going to be incredible. And instead of taking him with the fourth pick, I get him at 20. Sounds awesome. I had a GM tell me if this draft was ten years ago, Najee Harris goes top ten, we don't
1: question it. So what does that mean? I don't know. Are we getting smarter and that maybe running backs just aren't worth it, or is it this guy's really good? And you know, a couple years ago, team six teams passed on Adrian Peterson. I bet they didn't. They didn't, you know they regretted that. So I think Najee Harris
0: goes. All right, Shrigs. It was a pleasure. Uh, I. We did, we didn't make this a, an official million dollar picks, but I think we gave some people some winners. I look forward to uh, to texting with you during this crazy draft. Thanks for coming on.
1: Wait, my man, I'll be on NFL Network's coverage on uh, Friday and Saturday,
0: and I'm excited for it. So excellent. All right, thanks, Shrix. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid Unlike this podcast, some things in life should be boring, like banking, because boring is pragmatic and responsible, level-headed, wise, all the things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be exciting. Exciting is for three-point buzzer beaters, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money, because when your money is doing what you need it to, you can do all the unboring things you want to do with it. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank National Association. Member FDIC. All right. DeRay McKesson is here. He hasn't been on in a couple of months. We've been checking in with him really for the last year. We've had some stuff happened. Um, there was a verdict in Minnesota. Um we were texting afterwards. It's been pretty much a week since that happened. How's the mood changed for you in the country and what, and what positives have come out of it?
2: Yeah, I think that in, in a lot of ways, uh, the George Floyd video was, was seeing as believing for people, that they saw it, they were like, wow, I didn't realize it was this bad. I think that the trial, in some ways, was some form of accountability for people, people are like, wow, the system does work. I think the sobering news is that as of today, the police have killed about 335 people in 2021. And that there, we sort of people prematurely declared victory in 2020. People are like 2020 record conversation about the protests, all this stuff happening, and like really, when we look at the numbers, the police actually killed more people in 2020 than every single year of data we have, but 2018. And so I what do say you that be-
0: Well, what do you think the reasons are beyond the typical reasons? Like, how much does the pandemic play into that? How much does People, you know, struggling with whatever, like the police struggling with whatever. Are there other factors than just 2020 is this
2: aberration year? Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's anything. If anything, we would have thought that the pandemic would be a wild decrease, right? Like that was our Right. It was like everybody's home. Like who are you even, who's even outside? Who are you even in conversation with? You know, like I said before, I think that what people are more, are starting to pay attention to is that the police actually just kill far more people in the suburbs than in cities and rural communities. So like Brooklyn Center is the suburbs, right? Like that, was, that wasn't that was a city, that was a suburb. So I think that that's what's happening. And remember that if you get killed by a police officer and a newspaper doesn't write about it, then you're just not in any of the data sets. So I think that like sort of what's the fix? I think that some of the stuff is immediate, right? When we did 8 can Wait, that was like, we can tomorrow just like restrict you from shooting at moving vehicles, we can require you to, you know, this is it. This came out since we, since we last spoke is that, uh, you know, one of the things that we called for was the officers have to report every time they point their gun at somebody, which seems like a pretty simple thing. In the places where this happens, uh, this is often the most commonly used force. And there's a new report that just came out like a month ago about the Dallas PD that showed that like since they implemented that policy, officer-involved shootings have decreased, officer-involved killings have decreased. Like it's some of this stuff that like will just save people's lives. Is that a total systemic fix? No. But what we say as organizers is that one is the biggest number. When one is your sister or your brother, one's a big deal, right? So we believe in that. The second though is like we got to do some of the bigger stuff. So like, you know, there's a, a really good uh, police bill that just passed in Maryland. We were part of, of helping to shape that. And it's like the best ban on no-knock raids in the United States. Like, And it's basic stuff. It's like in Maryland now, you have to wait 20 seconds before you enter somebody's property. 20 seconds is not long, but Maryland is the only state in the country that has a mandated requirement where officers have to wait before they enter your house. That is, that's like, this is easy, right? Officers in Maryland now have to wear uniforms. You're like, that seems like we should have done that a long time ago, right? So those sort of things matter. And the third thing is the federal government. I, I get nervous because I think people don't understand that the federal government, like Biden can't make like wave a wand and make the 18,000 police departments just do something. That's like not how the federal government works. But what he can do tomorrow, no task force, no commission, no Congress, is that he can rein in the federal agencies. Border Patrol is 20,000 people. They kill... A lot of people across the border, but Border Patrol also can police communities across the border. And he could tighten that up tomorrow. He could tighten up ICE, the DEA, the ATF, like all that stuff, all the federal agencies. He could just like change their practices pretty easily uh, because he is the president.
0: Last time you were on, we were talking about some of the successes with A Can't Wait, which I think the first time you came on was in June and we were... Did that whole initiative and and some good stuff happened did good stuff continue to happen or was it just a first wave what happened
2: no no it is you know mindful about it can't wait is that it is It is one strategy, and no one strategy will get us to zero. So, like, we're proud of it. We also know that, like, it is not enough, right? It's the floor, not the ceiling. Uh, But about 350 cities have changed at least one of the policies, and they can't wait. And 15 states have adopted at least one of the policies, New Jersey being the far outlier. New Jersey has all of them. They did it well. Uh, Maryland has a couple they just did theirs uh, and then we lead I think we started the no-knock campaign after I came on so we're working in about 50 cities and states on no-knocks uh, like banning no-knock crates yep. and then we also, we also lead the work on police unions so we're always looking for volunteers but we have about uh. We have 700 contracts on the website. We have 2,500 that we're coding. It takes three people to read every contract. And then we have volunteers looking for the next 10,000 contracts so that we can continue to support communities across the country as they try and like weaken the power of the police union. So these are like concrete things that we can do tomorrow. And there's some, you know, Bill, I didn't, did you know that there are some states that only the legislatures only open every other year? Did you know that? I didn't know that. (laughs) No. Is that true? yeah, yeah. So I, and I only know because we're working on these bills right now. Nevada, Texas, they don't they don't legislate every year. They legislate every other year. Uh Maryland in Maryland, they only legislate for 90 days. The 90 days is over. So we have to wait till January to get a new law. You know, like that is that is wild, you know? Like the system isn't even designed so people can adequately participate, like for the long haul, you know?
0: So the girl who just got shot when she was in the knife fight and you know, was clearly attacking somebody, but at the same time, the policeman came in and just fired four rounds right away. And you've been, you've been tweeting about that and talking about it ever since, where that ends, there's this nebulous zone here, right? Where the police's job is to protect, there's a person in danger, but the way they're protected seemed way excessive compared to maybe some other steps that could have been taken. How do you think that policeman should have handled it? Yeah, so you know it's it's interesting.
2: The police will tell us all day that they're skilled professionals. That's like their whole day. They're like, we are skilled professionals. I just watched that video again today on the phone with my father. And like not being dramatic, from the moment that he gets out of the car to he shoots her, is maybe six seconds. He gets out, he's like, What? Uh uh, stop, that pop. And you're like, what's the skill? That's what I want to know. What's the skill? What skill did you demonstrate in that moment? Because if it's just killing people, then we actually, that is a great case for defund. We should just give everybody guns. If the whole skill is like, can you shoot somebody? That is, I'm not convinced that you demonstrated a high level of any skill. I know teachers. I was a teacher who broke up fights where kids had They had scissors, they had pencils, they had pens, they had the bottom of a desk. They had all types of stuff. And I didn't even, there was not a world where I had a gun or anything. And we defused all of them. Everybody went home. Maybe you got a little bruise. Everybody survived. Teachers in high schools across the country can tell you that they have been in wild situations. Everybody lived. So when people say to me, like she was clearly stabbing somebody, I watched that video 10 times. I just saw it uh, two hours ago. And it's like, They were, it was a fight, you know, like they were fighting. He shot her so quickly that it's like, I don't even know if he could convince me that he knows what happened in that moment. He literally was like, uh, 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 stop what? And shoots her. And you're like, you can't convince me that you're a skilled professional in moments like this because I'm trying to figure out like, what's the skill?
0: Yeah. Well, so, you know, this has been, we're talking 10 months here since police reform and all that stuff really moved into the forefront. And there there seems like there should be a little bit of a middle ground, right? Because people, we don't want people to become anti-police. We just want the police to behave better in certain situations. Right. And this is a line you've had to straddle this whole time. How do we, how do we walk that line without this becoming even more adversarial? Because I think unfortunately that's social media, that's what social media does, right? They try to inflame one way or the other. They try to pit things against each other. They try to blow things up. How do we just make stuff better without everything being like I'm either on this side all the way over here or this side all the way over here? What about what about the middle?
2: No, well, Bill, it's hard. It's like I don't know what the middle is when when it's okay to kill a 15 year old like that, right? Or like you know, it's interesting. Yeah. You look at you look at uh Columbus, Columbus, the Columbus PD has killed as many kids under the age of 18 as the NYPD. Chicago, the Chicago PD kills more kids under the age of 18 than any police department in the country. And you look at this and it's like, I have to believe that we can think about an intervention in conflict and harm that is not the police. Like the, if the police are trying to convince you that like they got it nailed down, they are not right. doing a good job. Like they're not doing it, right? So when I think about this idea of like anti-police, it's like, what I, what I think is true is that we can think about safety beyond policing. That like our response to all conflict in community and all... Harm cannot be somebody with a gun like that just isn't a that's a bad response. And again, schools across the country have demonstrated that like We figured out a way to do it I can't even tell you some of the stories that i've been a part of that my friends have been a part of in schools that like That were hard kids had a lot of conflict And like we always survived. you know, we made it out. So so I don't I don't know I do think that in the short term Uh, We can do things like accountability. We can fire the bad people. We can be really quick on that. But I do think that the long-term goal is to think about like, what is a response to conflict in community that is not a person with a gun? It's like, we shouldn't have somebody with a gun respond to mental health issues, to homelessness. And and the reality is that those are the vast majority of things that we call the police for. Like I said before, only 5% of 911 calls are for violent crime. It's just not, the police would have you believe it's 90. It's 5%, you know?
0: Yeah. Do you feel like the, do you feel like the police and people in position of power are listening to people like you and, and the people who are trying to change this in a baby steps kind of way? Like, do they, do they care? Do they listen? Have you had conversations with people in positions of power that are like, Hey, you guys are making some good points. We need to fix this.
2: Yeah, I think that. So I think the Maryland legislators were definitely listening. Uh, and the police are really organized, right? So when people are like, well, the you know the power of the police is really diminished. It is not. The police are very organized. They remain really organized. And I don't think that, you know, there's this conversation about how to eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. And there's a version that says one bite after another, which is a piecemeal version. And I just don't think we'll win that way. There's another version that says everybody bites at the same time. It's like all the strategies in place. So it is removing traffic from policing. It is uh, banning no knocks it is banned at the end of low-level arrests which a lot of con- a lot of states across the country have actually done which is amazing it's no more um, it's no more criminalizing weed you know it's like all of these things at one time like that is how we actually do it and i think people are listening i think that the rub though is that you know in a lot of places even when there are good people the legislative cycle is not on our side so like again if you can only make laws once every two years we're That is not great. Uh, And then the police lobby is actually just really strong. So, you know, when we did A Can't Wait, one of the things the police would say is, are you telling me that, like, we should pull out a book, our rule book, every time there's a crime and we should flip through and see what we can and cannot do? And you're like, come on, guys. Like, that is, you are not operating in good faith and you know it. But that response scares a lot of people. And we have to work up against that often. In Maryland, we tried to get uh, all police discipline records public and what the police said to the legislators is that they said you know if you make our disciplinary records public then you should make all ethics complaints against legislators public and then the legislators got on their you know like the police are very very good fear mongers but i don't think that we need to just peace I, mean, I think that we can make big strides really quickly and then i think we also need to build up the alternatives right so like if we say uh, and we say that there's going to be a different response to homelessness, we got to make sure that there's like a, a really good response, right? We, if there's a different response to mental health issues, we need to make sure there's like a really robust response. And in most cities, we don't have that yet, but we got to build to it.
0: I, I don't want to say there's sides, but there are clearly sides. The other side, the people that are saying, wait a second, this is too much. You don't understand. Like, what's the best point you've heard over the last year as people try to counter? some of the logical stuff
2: you're suggesting? I think there are a lot of things. I think that one is that the numbers actually don't support the case, right? So like, you know, the clearance rates in almost all the cities are low, like 20, 30% uh, of, of the homicides or, or the, of the crimes are actually being solved. It's pretty low. So that's one. I think though the second is that, and this isn't even like a controversial thing, is that the police rarely stop crime. Normally they get there once, once something has happened. Like the police are response- things, the police wouldn't even try and convince you that they are preventative, that they they know that they're not, right? So our big goal has always been, how do we stop the bad things from happening? The big goal is not, how do we respond once the bad things happen? The big goal is like, how do we stop the bad thing? So I think about this idea of shifting resources. I think that's actually like a compelling idea that people across the aisle actually believe in. I think the third thing is that most of us agree that experts should do what experts do, and who's an expert on mental health? The police won't even say they're experts on mental health, right? They won't even say that. Who's an expert on homelessness? The police won't even say they're experts on homelessness, right? They know they're not. We should have experts for resources on this stuff. I think that's like easy. But with the Micaiah video in Columbus, to me, something that really was compelling to me was this idea of like, what is the skill? That if your response to all conflict is shooting somebody, then like you aren't even making the best case for this idea of like a skilled profession. That if 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 people in neighborhoods could have diffused this situation with everybody being alive, then like I don't know what you're bringing to the table that is so special or magical that like warrants how much money and energy and power we put into this force because like or even you know even Derek Chauvin you're like what was that skill right nine um, minutes there's no skill there. The last time you were on, we were
0: talking about. I mean, the biggest thing I've learned from you from the conversations we've had is that it's not it's not federal it's state by state and it's exerting pressure and you know the baby steps thing but also like trying to you never know who the right legislator is going to be or whatever in each state and you said you had success in Maryland are there other states that you feel like are on the fringe or are is there a state that could be a tipping point state that if something happened good some reform whatever that other people would emulate it or is do you think it's just 50 states that are just moving at their own pace that are not connected in any way.
2: There's some good, you know, uh, the biggest shot I could give is Brian Benjamin is a state senator in New York, and this man is on it. Like, his his slate of bills, you're like, you got it. Like, he has the juice. So he is the best no-knock bill in the United States. It it hasn't been voted on yet, but the best bill around no-knocks. He is a bill around wandering officers. His bill would prevent any department in New York from hiring officers who've been fired anywhere else in the country or or fired in new york i mean so he's like a lot of bills he has a bill that would make sure that people leaving prisons have ids um i'm trying to go. what else he has a he has a bill raising the felony death threshold so in new york if you steal over a thousand dollars it is considered a felony that is wild you can get over a year in prison for stealing a, a laptop or a cell phone right and like that doesn't make sense he has a bill that would make it 5000 It would be the highest in American history right now. And did, did, I didn't ask you this before. What do you think the lowest amount is in the country? New Jersey has the lowest amount in the country. If you steal the amount in New Jersey, which is the lowest, uh, you, can, you, you can be charged with a felony. Uh, what do you think it is, the lowest amount?
0: I would have said 1000
2: The lowest amount in the country is $200. If you steal over $200 in New Jersey, it's considered a felony. Wow. You can get uh, over a year in prison. That is wild. Right, so Brian Senator Benjamin in uh, New York has a bill for New York that would make it the highest that it's ever been in American history. The highest that it is today is Texas and Wisconsin, uh, which is twenty five hundred dollars, which is low. You know, like a year in prison for stealing what two cell phones is? I mean, that doesn't make sense. So I would say that he is really like I think that what he's doing in New York State is really a gold standard. Like he's the he's the bright star.
0: And how about the the celebrities and some people who have? you know pretty big platforms cuz they seem like they've gotten behind a lot of this stuff over the last um year has that has that helped them? are you you're making a face so you think
2: there's some people left that should be helping yeah i think that like you know the hard thing about the celebrities is that uh so celebrities are great for awareness the hard part is that when we need them to like really put the rubber to the road either they do it and get a lot of backlash yeah Or they just get nervous. So like LeBron's tweet about Micaiah was right. He was right. She should be alive today. Point blank. Like there's, and any parent would say that if their kid was in a conflict, they could imagine scenarios, especially given that one, where like everybody comes out alive. Somebody might be bruised. You know, we might have to have an intervention, but like everybody, LeBron was right. He took a lot of heat for being right though. He had to delete it. And it's like, and you get a lot of celebrities who get, you know, they, they, they feel like they need to delete it or this isn't sort of their lane. So they feel like they got to defend something. You know, it's just like, but he was right. He was right. That is, he should be, he should be asking questions about the Columbus Police Department. They have killed a ton of people. There are racial disparities that are wild in that department. It is one of the worst police union contracts in the United States. I mean, it is, that department is a storied bad department. LeBron was right but he got a lot of flack for being right. And I think that that like, I think I think him deleting the tweet signals to other people that like, I should probably stay out of this, right? LeBron was right. And the third is that you get a lot of people who like, they don't really want to fight the police. Like you might have to fight the police, you know, you might have to go up against, you know, a, a legislator who is a good person, but wrong on the issue. And some people just don't wanna, they don't, you know, a lot of celebrities, they built their whole career being liked, right? They don't want to be the person in the room being like, well, you know, why do you destroy police officer disciplinary records every two years? That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Like, so so a lot of celebrities choose like really sort of easy things or they choose things they don't understand. Like, I am I swear to God, I'm convinced people don't understand qualified immunity. And every time I hear a politician talk about it or on the news, I'm like, I wish we had like a primer. And the very quick version is that like qualified immunity is about civil it's a civil process not criminal so when people are like we're going to prosecute officers when we end qualified immunity we're not qualified immunity is not a criminal it's not criminal it's civil uh, and in almost every place across the country police officers are indemnified which means that they aren't individually liable for what they do as police officers so when we get in when we get rid of qualified immunity which does provide a protection so that officers cannot be held liable The city is what you'll be able to sue. So the interqualified immunity will lead to more lawsuits against cities for victims, which is a good thing. Victims should be compensated uh, for the terror of the police. It's not going to lead to like whatever people think accountability is for individual officers. But if I, I, the number of celebrities I see say things like that on Twitter or in the news, and I'm like, this is not, it literally is not going to do what you are telling people it's going to do. It's going to do something. It's just not going to do what you're telling people it's going to do.
0: So you're saying Twitter might be a little bit harmful in some ways. I can't believe it. Oh, no, wait.
2: (laughs) It's Twitter. It's the news. The politicians on the news. I'm like, but LeBron was right. Like, we need more people like LeBron in that moment where his gut was like, she should be a lot. His gut was right. And we need more of those people. Um, And I wish that we could get more celebrities to, like, focus on some of the structural stuff, to put a, a light on, like, these contracts that say, You know, like in Louisville, when Breonna Taylor was killed, the contract literally made it impossible for the other officers to be suspended without pay. Like he just couldn't do it, you know? And it's like, that doesn't, there are very few professions where like you could kill somebody and we can't even suspend you without pay. I mean, that's like a wild thing. So we need more people to dig in the weeds.
0: Well, there's also a union piece to that, right? Which you've been pretty passionate about bringing up the different different issues with some of the police unions, the things they've been able to carve out in their deals. But it, and we live in a country now where a lot of people are pro-union. You can't kind of pick and choose. You can be pro-union, but then say that the police unions are wrong. They negotiated for all the stuff that people gave them. But at the same
2: time, they negotiated for stuff that we need to change. So I don't even know how to fix that. I think you can be pro-union and against the police. There's no, like I used to I used to be in teachers unions and then I used to, I was the chief human capital the school system in Baltimore. So I managed the district implementation of the contract. So I've seen it from both sides. The worst part of teachers unions is not protecting them killing people. I mean, that's like, <laughs> right, <laughs> that's right? <happening>, right? <laughs> so, but like the, the police union contracts literally make it so, like in San Antonio, it's something like 70% of officers who get fired get rehired because of the contract. That is wild. you know what I mean? Like it's those sort of things or destroying disciplinary records. Like that's not normal. That is, there's no teacher's contract I've ever seen where we destroy the officer's, the teacher's disciplinary record every two years. Yeah, that's weird. Well, well the,
0: the Biden administration compared to the last administration we have, you would think fundamentally maybe that would make a difference, but you seem to think it doesn't, does it even matter who the president is with this stuff? I mean, he can... Clearly, he can be more empathetic when we have bad situations, but can he actually make a difference? Because it doesn't seem like he really can.
2: Yeah, so, you know, this is a good thing for us under Trump that the, that the president just doesn't, can't like randomly do things to local police departments. The federal government's biggest power with local agencies is money. They can withhold money, they can get money. That's sort of like the magic power of the federal government with regard to police departments. The, the rub is, is that almost no, no president has ever really uh, not giving money to police departments. So for instance, there there is a federal law today requiring police departments to submit uh, all deaths in custody to the federal government. Only 40% of local agencies submit and there's no consequence. So if they don't submit, they don't lose money, like they're fine, right? Uh, I think Biden, you know, we learned a lot from the Obama task force and and. At the end, I think he was trying to punt to Hillary, and Hillary didn't win. Uh, I think that what Biden could do again is model with the agencies, and there's some good parts of the George Floyd, uh, pol- the, the George Floyd Policing Act. Like it would expand the federal government's power to investigate police departments. It would allow state attorney generals to do investigations. So there's like some some parts in it that are not bad, uh, okay. but he doesn't need that to like. I don't want to underestimate what the federal government signaling by reigning in its own agencies would do to police departments across the country. Like if border Patrol suddenly had to tighten up and like had to stop doing, like stop shooting people from helicopter, like all this stuff that we know is happening, then that would signal to other agencies like this is how we do it. Like they could just do that very quickly. Like he doesn't need a commission or anything to do that. Um, and, I, and I worry that the Biden administration is going to continue to say that they are like, waiting for Congress. And it's like, you know, even the private prisons, I don't know if you remember, he did an executive order about private prisons, stopping the federal government from using private prisons. Uh, what percentage of people incarcerated do you think is in a private prison, Bill?
0: I have no idea. Tell me. But guess. You got a guess. This is so a point. 10%? Uh,
2: it's, uh, it's like around 8%. Oh. So uh, of, the, of the people sort of under the DOJ banner, it's about 8%. So that wasn't a, I mean, it's a, good, it's a good thing to get rid of them, but that's not a big deal. Now ICE, about 40% of people detained by ICE are in private run facilities. That executive order that Biden signed only applied to the DOJ. It did not apply to DHS, which is where ICE is under. Hmm. So if Biden wanted to do something big, he would have extended that to DHS. That would have been a big... I mean, ICE would not be able to detain people if they couldn't use... Like, they just don't own enough property to detain that many people. They don't. They, ICE is actually renting out local prisons and jails across the country. So if he had actually banned private facilities from ICE, it would, it would decimate ICE's ability to detain kids and families in one fell swoop. And like, he didn't do that. It's those sort of things that we should be requiring of the Biden administration.
0: The Chauvin verdict, people feel like we got over the hump, but yeah, we haven't had the sentencing yet. Do you can? Do you worry about what if the sentencing is late?
2: No, I, think, I, 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 I think I think Chauvin is like the sacrificial lamb for the system, right? I think he's the he's like the salve where even the police are like, please give them a conviction so that like. People will like right. let the heat up on us, right? but when you zoom out and look at the numbers, the hot so the police kill about eleven hundred people every year like that is sort of a average of eleven hundred The highest number of convictions we have ever had ever ever in a given year is eleven. Wow, it wow. normally is one, two, and three. The highest number of officers for any data set that we have uh, people convicted of murder is like five or six right. So even in that year with 11, they weren't convicted of murder. They were convicted of something regarding the murder, but it was not actually murder. So like Chauvin is in a small set of these cases that is going to happen this year. What Biden did do, I will give one kudos to Biden, is that Merrick Garland, the new AG, has announced uh, a pattern in practice in Minneapolis, in Louisville, and they just opened up an investigation uh, in, I think, Elizabeth City, North Carolina. I mean, so to... We have not seen an administration ever roll out these pattern and practice or investigations like this, and I mean it's like two weeks. You know, a lot of people don't realize too that uh, the federal government's power to investigate local police departments is relatively new. You actually know the case; you probably saw it when it happened on the news. Is Rodney King? You know, the it was mm-hmm. the it was the fallout from Rodney King that gave the federal government the power to investigate local police departments. So it's a pretty new power. The challenge is that on average, they do about three investigations a year. There are 18,000 police departments. So like three out of 18,000 is not a lot. But we'll see. Garland is off to a start. And like, we have never seen this many investigations announced back to back. And the team that he has over there, Benita Gupta just got confirmed. She is a civil rights... Legend Lisa Monaco's over there now. She's dope. Uh, Kristen, who used to be at the uh, leadership committee, is amazing. Hopefully she gets confirmed soon. So like the team in the DOJ who focuses on race and justice, like they will probably be the best team we have ever had in a generation. And uh, that is a good thing.
0: Last question: the uh, the infrastructure you were putting together. We talked about it in June, and when you came on, the like, second you needed volunteers, you needed people to find data to go through all this stuff. How's that looking almost a year later? Like, what kind of database do you have at this point? It's got to be significantly better, right? It
2: is. So, because of you, I don't know if I ever told you this, but because of you, Bill, and because of the podcast, uh, there was uh, th- this amazing company reached out to us, uh, Kira. And we actually use their software to code these contracts all across the country. So shout out to Kira. Shout out to the team at Kira. Could not, uh, literally wouldn't be able to do our work without them. But they got to us because of you, Bill. So like, thank you for uh, that. Oh, that's nice. Uh, and we always need more volunteers. So we are working on, we're, we're finding police shooting contracts and coding them. If you want to help us, you can just email me at deray at com. Super easy. D-E-R-A-Y at com, uh, And you know, we might do something around felony theft so that uh, what I was talking about before like in New Jersey if you steal over $200, it's considered a felony. So if you want to help out with police hearing contracts, email me. If you're interested in other stuff around policing, email me. We'd love to get you looped in because there are a lot of people especially where you are like there's a bill in Maine coming up around No knocks and there's a dope set of people in Maine who are organizing I just had a call today with uh, some folks in Delaware who are organizing. So, like, we'd love to plug you in because there there is systemic stuff happening, and we believe as organizers that the only way the outcomes will change is if the system changes. Like, programs aren't enough, speeches aren't enough. Like, this structure has to change.
0: All right, Dorey, congrats on everything. Great to see you again. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we we're able to catch up. Talk to you in a couple months. See you soon. All right, that's it for this podcast. We have one more podcast coming up Thursday night after the NFL draft. Stay tuned for that. Don't forget about the rewatchables. We did Predator. Have another good one coming next week as well. And I will see you in this podcast on Thursday. This episode is brought to you by Dr. Squatch. What you use in your personal care routine matters, so upgrade your lineup with Dr. Squatch. They have high performing natural products with no harmful ingredients. That'll have you looking and smelling your best, like their Wood Barrel Bourbon Bar Soap and Lotion, or their Bay Rum Deodorant. They even have some limited edition soaps, like their Avengers and Star Wars collections. Those seem like they'd be fun to try. And right now, They have an amazing offer for new customers. Get 20% off your first purchase of any amount or subscription order by going to drsquatch.com slash Simmons or use the code Simmons at checkout.